All right. Well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at the church. So glad that you're here to worship with us today. I want to welcome you. If you're joining us in the chapel, at an off-site campus, online, wherever you happen to be, we are excited that you are here as well. I'm curious how many of you ladies across all of our campuses and here got to enjoy the Chosen Women's Conference. Are you in the house? Let me hear you. Come on. I'm telling you, we had some incredible speakers. Our own Lisa Surratt brought a great word, had some uh, friends of Pastor Greg's. It was an exciting couple of days, and it's always a challenge for me because the invitation, the call, is for our women. Yet every single message, I'm sitting here on the front row, and I'm feeling something in me rise up like, man, I want some of that, you know? <laughs> but I can't raise my hand. The ladies, you know, they're talking to women. It's just awkward. Needless to say, it's incredible. And so if you're hearing this and thinking, man, I'm going to do that next year, I've got good news for you. You don't have to wait until next year. We're changing up the rhythm of Chosen from January to October. And instead of making you wait 18 months for the next one, we're having Chosen Round Deuce this October. And so you got a special early bird rate. It's something to be excited about. Special early bird rate that ends tonight. And so if you haven't picked up a ticket and you want to, it sells out every year. You can pick one up at ChosenWomensConference.com. Well, hey, last weekend, we made one of the most exciting announcements that we've made in years here at Seacoast, and that is that Katie and I are having another baby. Isn't that, isn't that just <laughs> exciting? I'm just kidding. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> the look of shock on your faces. You know? We are praying for twins when it happens, so you can partner with us in that for whenever, whenever it does. No, it was the long anticipated announcement that we are expanding the Mount Pleasant campus. And I'm going to tell you, since we last added seats here in this worship center, it's been 17 years, and the town of Mount Pleasant has grown from nearly 40,000 people to nearly 80,000 people. And man, in recent months, we have felt that growth like never before. If you were to walk around our church on a Sunday morning, there's rows of chairs around every TV in the building, people sitting on stairs or anything that resembles a seat in hopes of getting their ear or eye on the message. And so we're just excited. I feel like us announcing that it's time for us to do that is us saying that, man, we want to be the church where people can come and experience the power and presence of God that are, are new to our, our community. The need to expand for us as a, as a church isn't a new one, uh, but it is one that's new to Katie and I. We've only been at Seacoast for about seven years now. Out of curiosity, how many of you have been here seven years or less here or across any of our campuses? Let me see your hands. Lots of folks. So see, I've only heard stories about when we planted the Somerville campus or West or North Charleston and hundreds of people that were here one weekend worshiping side by side, friends you would small talk with in the breezeway, were willing to move across town or start attending another campus in hopes of reaching people and creating space here at the church. We weren't here for the Imagine the Possibilities campaign when people gave sacrificially to expand the current facility for children's space, but we've heard stories about hundreds of children that used to be out in the trailers. The need to expand isn't new for us. We've always done it. It's been who we are as a people, as a church, generous and sacrificial, but I had never experienced it personally. And even though we've been making preparations for this expansion, meeting with architects and trustees and all that over the last year, I didn't have the feelings until last weekend when we actually made the announcement. And I don't know what does it for you if it's like wedding day or Carolina Clemson game, Black Friday, first day of deer season, whatever it is, you know, but I had all the feelings, started to get some vision, started to have dreams of uh, not just a larger space with more seats, but the families that are going to be reached because of it. 
one of the resources we presented last week was a fly-through video made by, made by Moondog Animation and the animation company here, uh, folks that attend the church. They've done some more work on it the last week. How many of you would like to see it one more time before we get started today? Come on. Let's check it out. And I want to tell you something. I feel it and I sense it that when we are long gone, there will be tens of thousands of people who will come to this piece of ground and God's going to change their life because people like you had a vision to do this thing. I'm excited about it. been three times where the size of our facility has limited our ability to accomplish the vision that God has given us. Times where God has invited us to dream big and to pray bigger and to imagine what could be. Having not expanded our current worship center in 17 years, we find ourselves in a season where we're all out of room and God is calling us to imagine yet again. Come on, I'm telling you, it's so exciting. 2,400 seat auditorium, expanded breezeway, renovated children and student space, and 400 parking lots with some new entrances and exits just so you don't curse so much when you're leaving church on the weekend. I could not be more excited. 
I had a guy come up to me last night that was visiting the church for the very first time. and They had been out of church for a long time and just wanted to introduce himself. And he said, hey, you passed me as you were, you were walking in this evening. I was sitting over there by the snack table. And uh, I was like, that's actually a communion station. But uh, <laughs> I, it, got me, it got me so excited because like people that are new to the faith, new to our church, that they don't know the songs we're singing. They don't know what those tables or that bread is for. Families that we're going to reach, lives that we're going to get to see transformed. By, by being a part of this, each of us across all of our campuses is going to have a front row seat at seeing God do something that only he could get the credit for. Pastor Greg's challenge to us last week was to spend the next two weeks, here we've got one week left, to pray over how God might call us to get involved. So knowing that many of us are praying over that now, I want us to take some time as we get started today just to pray over that and pray over our time together today. So if you will, just grab your wallet and let me pray for us. And uh, I'll just get, let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that we have, God, to invest in the future. God, I praise you for every future believer, every person that's going to be a leader here at this campus, leaders across all of our campuses that might not even be believers yet, God, because you've given us an opportunity to invest in our future and seeing you do the miraculous. So God, we pray that you would stir our hearts, invite us, God, on a journey of generosity where we get to see you do something incredible. I pray for our time together today. God, would you open up our hearts, open up our minds that, that we would hear from you and come away changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a little over two and a half years ago, Katie and I we're sitting here in the front row at the Mount Pleasant campus right beside the snack table. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we're in a series called The Blessed Life. And Pastor Robert Morris was here speaking on the weekend. And I remember during that message him talking about his journey of generosity. And, man, he just had some crazy stories. There had been seven times up to that point where God had called he or his wife to give away their car. And I just remember thinking, like, Man, that's, can you imagine walking out of your house, all of us who have vehicles, we've either, you know, bought it with cash or gotten a loan, but we bought that car. Could you imagine uh, walking out of your house and saying, God gave me that car? Like, we gave ours away, God provided this one. Or I thought about walking out of the house with my kids and, and them saying, hey, Dad, where's your car? You know, and me saying, well, son, God called me to give it away, you know? I mean, how am I going to get to school? I don't know, you know? <laughs> We're going to figure it out, you know? It seemed wild. There had been three times where God had called them to give everything away. They had given away their home, the furniture in it. How do you see that one going over on date night, honey? Um, a couple things I need to talk with, you, uh, talk with you about. I feel like God's saying we need to give away the, the house. You know? I'm like, what? I just couldn't imagine. It seemed like crazy. But I remember sitting in the message that day thinking like, man, when I'm his age, 20, 30 years down the road. I want to have those kind of stories. I want my children to have a front row seat of God being their provider. And I remember thinking that day, I bet the only way that I'm going to have those kind of stories then is if I start living like that in some way now. You know, if I start taking some baby steps, because it's not just going to happen then. And at the time, I wouldn't have classified myself as a generous person. I had given to church, giving back to God through the tithe. But above that, the idea of being generous, man, was just something that, that I really struggled with. And I could count on one hand the number of times that God had called me to give away a shirt or a pair of pants or some shoes or something. But it wasn't money, you know, because that was just, it was a challenge for me. Well, I, I remember that day thinking, man, I'm going to figure it out. 
I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to talk to Katie. We're, we're going to do this. And so response time starts. We're sitting there on the front row, and right into the first song, I hear God speak to me there on the front row as clearly as I ever have. And he says, Josh, I want you to double your tithes. And I remember thinking, well, that, that don't sound right. You know, like, that must not be right. And, and usually I don't know exactly what we have in our checking account, but on that Sunday morning I had checked it, uh, our online banking, and knew exactly how much we had. And I also knew that at that point in the month we hadn't paid our mortgage yet. And so I'm doing the calculations, and I realized that if I doubled my tithe today, we wouldn't be able to pay our mortgage God, I know that you are responsible, and I don't want, you know, the pastor to default on his mortgage. That would look bad on you, so this must not be God. Whew. You know, I was getting a little concerned. Then I thought, well, maybe he meant as a life goal. Like, if I'm going to be like Pastor Robert Morris, have some stories to tell, then maybe I do 1% a year. Ten years from now, we would have doubled our tithe. Oh, God, that must be what you're saying. Whew, you know, good. Maybe I'll just talk with Katie about it on the way home. Let her know what I feel like you said, then I'll kind of feel like um, I've been obedient. So that was all in the first song, okay? <laughs> it's response time. That's what I was doing. I wasn't singing. I was talking with God. First song ends. Second song comes and goes. Third song, Katie leans over to me. Jay, Jay, I feel like God's saying we need to double our tithe. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I was like, man. I'm the one that had said, God, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to take some baby steps. I'm going to grow. I'm going to go down this journey of generosity. That's what was in me. God spoke to me first. And then he had to bring along this woman, you know, <laughs> to spur me on like she always does in matters of generosity. Man, but I remember that day we went to the offering box. And, and if you've ever heard from the Lord, whether like in a message or in reading his word, and you know, like you just can't run from it. And so my spirit was willing. I wanted to do what he had asked of me, but man, my flesh was weak. You know, so we're at the offering boxes and I'm holding that, that check, just ugly crying. You know, any of you that were here and saw it that weekend are thinking, honey, look at the pastor giving for the first time. You know, like, <laughs> it's really emotional. You know, <laughs> it's like just a challenge for me. And I, I mean, I just remember that being the first step that I took on a journey of generosity. I was hoping for like a baby step, a little something that kind of would look like this, you know, but it, he called us to a stinking like long jump, high jump, you know, so much more than I would, I would have imagined. You know, there's a lot of words that are going to describe our church that currently describe the season that we're in. It's been a season where I feel like in worship, we're experiencing the power and presence of God in some fresh and exciting ways, getting to worship together as a campus. I think about words like life change and salvation and baptism, uh, healings that we are seeing and that we will see. But if we're going to take every bit of ground that God has for us personally and as a church in the next 12 to 18 months, then the word generosity is going to have to be one that describes us as well. Not just with our finances, even though that's going to be a critical part of it, but also with our time and our talents. Think about expanding our facility. No one can attest to this more than our Columbia campus, who in the last year, when they moved into their new building, have grown by 70%. So many new families coming to church, so many people coming to Christ, so much life change. All of a sudden, it's like, man, we need more people to serve on our parking team or people to be ushers or greeters, folks to serve in our children's environments to ensure that we not only have a seat for these people, but that they're ministered to, that they're cared for, 
that they know that we've invested in them being here, that we're excited that they're here. This word generosity is something that's going to have to define us. And the crazy thing about generosity and the kingdom is that it can feel so counterintuitive. Chances are your life is much like mine and that we have seven days a week. We've got 24 hours a day. Our, our finances are limited. We know what we bring in. We know the bills that we have to pay and what we put out. We have some parameters on our life that feel tight. And in the kingdom, God says, when you give of your time, when you give of your talents, when you give of your treasures, you don't just have to do it and hope that I'm a good God, that I'll see it and in some way do something for you. God's given us some promises that we can stand on, some certainties that as we give generously, that we can take them to the bank, that he's going to show up and provide for us. Pastor Greg told us last week that God has established the world on a principle of generosity. And what I would love to do today is go back and pick that statement up and look at exactly what does that mean. Luke 6:38, there at the top of your outline says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what it's saying here is that anytime we give generously of our time, our talents, of our treasures, if we err on the side of generosity, then we can be certain that that is the measure that God will use for us. It may not come dollar for dollar or item for item, day to day. It may not come this day or next year, but we can be certain when we give generously, we can trust in God to provide for us. We can stand on his promises. So today I want us to look at three of those promises, the first of which is there on your outline sheet, and that is the promise of refreshment. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Um, have you ever come in after a hot day, uh, you know, working in the yard or on a workout and taking a cold sip of water, and, and what comes out of you is this, ah, you know, it refreshes your soul. Some translations of that passage say, he who waters others will himself be watered refreshing others, satisfying their soul. I have a friend named Chris Causey that's a, a church planner in Boston, and we get to see each other a couple times a year, talk somewhat regularly, but he's constantly taking the time to call me and leaving me voicemails saying something like, hey, Josh, this is Pastor Billy Graham. I want you to know I've been tracking with your ministry, and I'm proud of you, son. You're growing, you know, just, just cheesy goofball stuff, but he takes the time to spur me on, and man, it refreshes my soul. The promise for us is this, when I give of my time to refresh others, God will refresh me. It's so counterintuitive. When you get home at the end of the day and you have the pressures of work and family and time that you need to spend with your spouse and bills to pay and things to clean up, you don't feel like you have time. But we can be certain when we choose to sacrifice our time for others, to refresh others, that we can count on God to refresh us. I'm reminded of Mike and Sherry Edwards. They've been here at the Mount Pleasant campus for 22 years now, have served as small group leaders and coaches, as elders. Mike was a trustee. They're uh, encouragers in our marriage ministry where they sit down with folks to process their story, where they're at, look at God's word, and help them map out some next steps. And on March 18th of last year, Sherry found out she had stage 2 breast cancer. Two weeks later, they would start aggressive chemo that would last for four months, which would be followed up by surgery and radiation. She has several rounds 
of chemo left, and they should be finishing up April 1st of this year. And I saw them last week. They come in. They're also on our prayer team, pray over whoever's speaking on the weekend. I said, Sherry, how are you doing? You look as beautiful and vibrant as ever. She said, I'm doing so good. I'm ready to get in some trouble. I said, wow, are you? And Mike said, Sherry, you're not going to get in any trouble. And she said, trouble for Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, just love, love it. In a season where they have every excuse, every reason in the world to pull back and, and get healthy, to take care of herself, man, they want to jump in and, and minister to others. There was a couple months over the last year where physically Sherry just couldn't do it. But man, if she was up and Adam, she was calling saying, hey, we're ready. We want to meet with another couple. There was one point where throughout her treatment, Sherry got to see the, the top line in her file and one of the doctors had written, patient is in denial. You know, she, had, she had so claimed her healing. You know? She didn't want to listen. Whatever the doctor says, that's fine. I'm not okay. You know? But uh, Mike said, at this point, we're just passing on the encouragement that we ourselves have received. I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 there on your outline. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, Mike and Sherry are walking through one of the most challenging circumstances I can imagine. But when I look in their face, man, I see a soul that is refreshed, life and peace and joy. And I know that it's because they've been faithful to give of their time, to pour themselves out. And man, God has poured into them in a way that only he can. We can be certain when we carve out the time to refresh others, it's a promise that God will refresh us. Second promise on the journey of generosity is this, the promise of purpose. Promise of purpose. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you're under the sound of my voice today, it's not by accident that you're at Seacoast. God has, has chosen you. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last. Not be here today and gone tomorrow, but that you might make an eternal purpose in the lives of people. So where do we do that? What does that look like? Romans 12, 4 through 6 says, Just as our bodies have many parts... And each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. See, the local church is the body of Christ. And without you being willing to be you and use the gifts that God has given you in the context of the local church, we are at best an incomplete picture of Christ. We're an arm without a hand or a leg without a foot. When people saw the disciples, Scripture tells us that people took note that they had been with Jesus. They used their gifts. They loved. They cared for one another. When people come in to our church that are far from God or visit Seacoast from the very first time, as they see us serving and giving and using our gifts, man, they'll look at us much in the same way that they looked at them and say, man, something's different about those guys. The promise for us is this. When I use my talents in the local church, I will experience God's purpose for my life. When I use my talents, when I use the gifts that he's given me. I'm reminded of a woman named Susan Moore. She's been here at the Mount Pleasant campus for 20 years, last October. And starting on day one that she was here, she began serving in the nursery. And she has been serving in the nursery for the last 20 years years in the nursery. Come on, somebody. 
Can you imagine having a baby that never grew up, you know? I'd imagine leaving it in Target on accident, you know? It's like, wow, 20 years. She's a mother of six herself. And just about every weekend for the last 20, if you have a child uh, that's grown up in this church that's under the age of 20, Susan has held them and cared for them and loved them. Susan Moore has been one of the greatest growth engines here at this church for the last 20 years. And there's Susan Moores at every single one of our campuses, men and women that give sacrificially. Let me tell you what's unique to Susan. When a mom comes and, and gives their baby to a nursery worker and feels comfortable and, and confident that their child is going to be loved and cared for, they can come in here, sit in one of these seats, and experience the power and presence of God with peace of mind. She's using her gifts. You may not see her out in the breezeway. She may not be talked about from the stage, but, but her at this campus and people at each of our campuses, you can be certain God's using their gifts to allow moms and dads, men and women, to experience the power and presence of God. I'm reminded of Milan Yeager. Because of his unique contribution, because of his gifts, thousands of people across all of our campuses and hundreds of countries every single week that join us online get to experience Seacoast Church. Milan is the guy that's sitting behind this camera broadcasting the message right now. Why don't you join me in giving Milan a hand for using his gifts. We're thankful for you, man. There are hundreds of men and women like Susan and Milan that are members of our dream team using their gifts to be the hands and feet, to be the body of Christ. I think about businessmen like Paul Bolte and Dennis Samuelson and Sean Jenkins, guys that are just sharp and, and business-minded that are using their gifts to help us sharpen our, our processes, that are sharpening us as pastors, as leaders. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you own a business or whatever it is that you do, God's uniquely gifted you. And you're going to do countless things outside of this church. But as you use your gifts in the context of the local church, and God gives you a front row seat to see someone, else, someone else's life changed. Not because you know all of the answers uh, to Scripture or could debate something theologically, but because you were willing to say, yes, Lord, and be available. When he allows you to see someone's life change, man, it's a sense of purpose that nothing else can touch. And it's something that he wants for each of us. But it's only going to happen as you're willing to step up, to give up your time, to use your talents in the context of the local church. So the promise of refreshment, the promise of purpose, the third promise on the journey of generosity there on the back of your outline is the promise of provision. 1 Kings chapter 17 tells the story of a widow and her son. They've lived through a severe drought. The story is written out there on your outline. You can read through it later. But to tell you, they've come to the point in the drought. They haven't had any rain in the land. The rivers had dried up. And Scripture tells us she had a handful of flour and just a little bit of oil in the jar left. And she had decided that she was going to go out and gather some sticks, start a fire, cook a loaf of bread. They would essentially have a last meal and lay down in the back room of their house and die. Well, at this point, God would come to a prophet named Elijah and say, hey, I want you to go to Zarephath, and I want you to live with this widow and her son. So Elijah goes to the village, gets there as the woman is gathering sticks to make the fire, and says, ma'am, God has sent me here to move in with you and your son to, to live with you. And she says, well, that'll work out great. I was about to eat our last meal, and then we're going to lay down in the back room and die, so you can have the, have the house all to yourself. You know, and he says, she says, well... He says, ma'am, well, there's, there's one more thing that, that God said. As you prepare that meal, he wants you to feed me first. 
And all the women are thinking, isn't that just like a man? Come up in here, <laughs> thinking he can move in my house and I'm going to cook for him, eat my food, you know? It's like, man, that's a, hard, that's a hard sell. But what Elijah tells her in verse 14, there at the bottom of the paragraph, he says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day this, the Lord sends rain on the land. If she was willing to say yes, not only would God provide this one meal, but he would sustain her life. He would resupply. He would generously give to her. Worst case, she was going to say no to Elijah, lay down and die. Or she'd say yes to Elijah, God not provide, and she'd lay down and die. But what if, in her willingness to say yes, she encountered a generous God who could provide the miraculous? When she put herself in a position of faith to say yes to God, what might he do? Remember, when God gives, it's pressed down, it's shaken together, it's overflowing into our laps. In Malachi, there on your outline, this is what God says of the tithe. When we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he says, test me in this. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have room for it. See, in this woman's case, her, her obedience was, was motivated by desperation. And oftentimes in our lives, that's the case with us. That's exactly how it was in my story. When Katie and I moved here, our marriage was busted. I had been unemployed for seven months. Giving had been faithful but sporadic in the past. And because we had so little and, and no doors seemed to be opening, I said, God, I'm going I'm to trust you in this. We're going to figure this thing out. I set it up online. We had it starting to get you know, taken out of our check. And for five years, we did that until two and a half years ago. I mean, God would invite me on a journey of generosity. And we would see him and provide in ways that I never would have imagined he was able to do. And see, that's okay in our life when God motivates us or compels us out of desperation. Maybe you're in a marital crisis and you've never told anybody about it. It's embarrassing. It's challenging for you to deal with. And it's not until you hear the words, I'm leaving, that you come out. And, and man, you're throwing out a lifeline. Would you, somebody help, you know? I can't figure this out. Your son or daughter is, is wayward, and you haven't really talked with people about it until you, you realize, man, this could end tragically. We need some help. You reach out, and, and you talk to somebody. Well, oftentimes with our finances, man, it's the same story. We're fooled into thinking that what we have, we've earned, and that we've got to manage it. I don't really have enough to give back from God. Instead of seeing ourselves as stewards of what he's giving us and just trusting him that he's going to provide if we give, if we steward in the, in the way that he's asked. See, the only way that there was a church here to invest in my marriage when it was busted and broken, the only reason that there was a place for us to come and experience the power and presence of God is because years ago, men and women were willing to give in faith towards a vision to expand this place. And that is the season that we're in now. Giving out of desperation isn't going to cut it. Ten years from now, when a family new to this community, desperately in need of the power and presence of God, comes. It's our opportunity to take a baby step. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man must decide in his heart what he'll give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. We would never ask you to give a certain amount. Each of us are on a journey of generosity. We've just got to come to God. Say, God, how would you have me give? How would you have me get involved? And it has to be a step of faith. We're willing to invest, to sow a seed in the future. And I believe that when we do, 
when we take a step down that journey of generosity with our time, with our talents, with our treasures, man, we're going to have a front row seat at seeing God do the miraculous. Each of us are going to see lives change, and it's going to begin in our own hearts. We're going to see him cultivate in us a heart of generosity. Man, I did not used to be a generous person, and I still struggle with it. Heaven forbid my wife be the one to go to Walmart to buy a kid a birthday present for one of the kids' birthday parties they're going to. She thinks every kid's entitled to a $20 gift, and I struggle with that. A $10 gift is plenty, you know? I struggle to be generous. But man, I've seen God change my heart and work in me and provide for us in miraculous ways. It's going to begin with us. But man, as we take steps, we're going to see him use us to bring about life change. Man, we're going to get to sit face to face with people and say, me too. Hey, I've been there. And just like Sherry, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me tell you what he can do in your life. But it's going to begin with us taking a step of faith and trusting God for something that only he could accomplish. Let's pray. God, we praise you for this season that we're entering into. And I just want to pray into our future, over each of our hearts and lives and families. Pray over each of our campuses, God. Pray over the story of Seacoast. This is a turning point, a critical moment for us where I believe you're calling many of us to step up, to get in the game for the very first time, maybe to to give for the very first time, maybe to take a step and give extravagantly. God, you have gifted some of us to give incredible amounts of money. God, I pray that whatever, wherever we are in our journey, God, that we would respond in obedience to you, that we would say yes, God, and that when we do, it wouldn't be blindly and hope that something good will happen, but it would be a step of faith on firm ground, that we would stand on your promises, that we would see you as our faithful, loving God who refreshes, who brings purpose into our lives, who provides for us in miraculous ways. We pray that you'd be with us now, God, that our hearts and minds would be attentive, that just like two and a half years ago when you met me in response time, spoke to me and invited me on a journey, God, would you speak to the hearts of men and women today? I pray for marriages, that they would take a step of faith together financially, for individuals, God, that they would, they would live an epic adventure, trusting you as they give of their time and talents and treasures. Be with us now, God, as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.